Welcome to Building a Greener Idaho. This is your weekly Radio Boise program covering the intersection of people, profit, and place. I'm your co-host, Chris Wilson, and joining me today is Elise Amel, Professor of Psychology at the University of St. Thomas in St. Paul, and Christy Manning, Professor of Environmental Studies at McAllister College, also in St. Paul, Minnesota. Hi, thanks for joining us. Hi. Hi. Glad to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you and uh, have you come talk about uh, a unique topic. We've been running a series on change on Building a Greener Idaho this summer, and last month we set the stage uh, and we dove into some local topics, so primarily you know, the development that we've experienced here in the Treasure Valley. We've been a pretty rapidly changing urban environment for about 20 years now. Um, we saw a big push, obviously, in the mid-2000s and the, the lead up to the infamous 2008 bubble. Um, but since then, things have just gone right back on track for um, a, a booming growth market here in, in the Boise area. So we were focused on this idea of change and what it means to our community. And it, it sets the stage for the larger question of, of change and um, and the human capacity for change and, and just what it means to accept new ideas and new behaviors and, and how that relates to sustainability. And the, and the, the idea of psychology of sustainability, it's, it's a pretty neat niche area of expertise I discovered. Um, tell our listeners how you came to focus on this area. So this is Christy, and I started my academic life as a cognitive research psychologist thinking about how people think. But I found myself always going home and thinking about reading about and doing environmental and social justice related things. So it was when I spent some time in Germany that I discovered there is this field at the time, 15 years ago, almost 20 years ago, was um, of environmental psychology that was much more advanced. In the United States, we've now caught up. But it was a perfect bringing together of the academic work and the social justice and environmental interests that I had. So that's how I got my start. And this is Elise. Um, I got my degree in workplace psychology, but like Christy, I found myself really gravitating to thinking about how psychology can be applied to some of our most significant social problems. And um, once I had children, it became very clear to me that um, I had a longer view of the future than before and was very interested in making sure that they have a future um, that's uh, enjoyable and livable. So, so you both started from more of a, a generalized uh, focus on psychology, and then your personal interests have, have brought you to this sort of environmental lens. Exactly. I would say that for us, it was a lot. There was much less of this type of psychology available when we were in graduate school and starting our careers. But that has changed. There is now a growing group of psychological researchers, practitioners, professionals, not just in academia, but everywhere, who are thinking about this intersection of psychology and sustainability. We have this mantra around the office that uh, there are no environmental problems, there are human behavior problems. And human behavior is what psychologists have, have really been focusing on for 150 years. So, yes. It's why I think this topic is so interesting for Building the Greener Idaho and, and our, our focus on change and development and, and how humans go about doing their, their business on the planet. So, 
I, it's nice to hear that it's be, it's a growing field. Now you guys have both landed in the same community. You're both in St. Paul, and um, you collaborated on a piece back in 2009, I believe. Uh, it was called The Psychology of Sustainability. Uh, tell us about that. Yes. Uh, that was That began as a grant from our local Minnesota Pollution Control Agency, which is the Minnesota arm of the Environmental Protection Agency. And they used to, they, I think they still do, they, they not only do the sort of enforcement of regulations, environmental regulations, but they also do a lot of public education and outreach. We had a grant to create this publication or handbook to educate the public or offer a resource to the public on creating a sustainability campaign that worked with rather than against the human psychology. And was it effective? According to the people at the Pollution Control Agency, it's one of the most downloaded publications that they offer. So it it has been well received. It has, I think, been helpful for many people to in thinking about how do I create the a a new sustainability norm? How do I facilitate a new behavior such as composting or cleaning storm drains in in neighborhood streets? Um, all sorts of different things that people are doing at the community level. And and this handbook is it giving um, sort of instructions on you know sort of if I was to if I had a goal and I wanted to get my community to to adopt these new practices, this is my playbook, or is it is it more academic and, um, you know, sort of um, high level? I would, I think it's accessible. I don't think it's academic, but it's not a step-by-step. It is more of a tips and advice, collection of tips and advice. So if you have an idea of, of what you would want to do, and there are other resources out there on how to create the step-by-step, how to create a behavior change campaign or a recycling campaign or a, a whatever it is campaign. So you could go to those resources for that, like mm-hmm. community-based social marketing. And then this handbook is meant to give you some extra tips on some of the details. How do you communicate about this? What should your signs emphasize? What else do you want to pay attention to, such as the social environment in which this is happening? Okay, so you're really drilling down into the the specifics of um, a sustainability campaign and um, getting your message across. Is is this something that, uh, so this this work done in 2009, have you seen other works of this type produced and being used throughout the country? I haven't. I haven't either. We've subsequently written a textbook which is aimed at a more academic level. Um, it, we wrote it to be similarly accessible though. Um, and then more recently the article in Science um, was intended to sort of pull out the most essential um, pieces and try to weave a little story about how it's all connected together. Yes. yes. Yeah, okay. And I think that this also explains why um, your names are still the most <laughs> prominent search results in Google when you're, you know, you're looking for 
for um, results on this type of work. So you're still, I, I guess, at the forefront of your field in the U.S. here. Um, so that's that's great, and it's awesome to hear that this um, pollution control agency publication is their their most downloaded work. There are extensive literatures out there about how important social information is in terms of guiding our behavior, and that the same principles work no matter if you're um, trying to change habits like smoking or um, exercise versus something like sustainability. Similar uh, for cognition and how we pull in information and how we process information. Yeah, we didn't go any further than the, I mean, we really dove deeply into the field of psychology and the research in psychology, but we did not have to go beyond our field. So this, um, you've kind of hit on the key topic here, and that's changing behavior. Um, back to our, our, our theme here on Building Greener Idaho of change, and, and changing behavior is hard. Whether or not you want to do it personally, you know, if you're personally motivated to quit smoking, um, it's still an uphill battle. Probably, arguably, even harder if you're trying to change someone else's behavior and they're not convinced that they want to change that behavior. So um, let's let's talk about that. What tactics do people employ um, if they want to kind of steer human behavior? You you highlighted a great example with an with the twist of addiction when you mentioned smoking. That most most smokers try to quit many times. And it's a similar thing with all of our New Year's resolutions. Every year we make them and probably by about March we've failed to keep them. So changing individual behavior, we've all tried it and we've all realized that it is just difficult. Um, Part of that is habits. Habits are a very functional thing that we rely on for at least half of our behavior every day. And and um, the cool thing about a habit is that it's automatic, meaning that we don't even know that we're relying on them. But that is also what makes it so difficult to change because we're already deep into the habit before we even realize what we're doing, which makes it hard to stop. I mean, anybody who's tried to take their... Uh, canvas bags to the supermarket only to realize they forgot them at home realizes you know how their habits of going about going to the grocery store inhibit their ability to change mm-hmm. so so in in that situation with habits you have to do more than just wish and try hard you actually have to change some things in your environment to cue you that okay now's the time to think about something differently. So before you leave for the grocery store. And there there are layers of complexity in that too, because we're all very busy people um, and life, we are living life and it's hard to find the time to sit down and say, okay, how can I restructure my day? How can I rearrange my kitchen so that I will remember to bring my grocery bags? If we have to think, that's exactly what habits develop so that we don't have to think about every single detail of our lives. But when it comes to change, it does require a little bit of that sitting down and thinking, how can I rearrange things in my environment so that the behavior I want is the most easy and natural behavior. 
Right. Um, and that's um, for anybody who's tried to change a habit or behavior and and butted their heads against this this wall of how difficult it is. You know, it, it's comforting to know that there is actually a purpose and a benefit for habits. And that's it just kind of opens up our mental bandwidth. We don't have to think about the same thing time and time again. We just do it. Exactly. So the habits will eventually be beneficial to us in terms of sustainable behavior, but it does take some some actual effort to make the transition from old behaviors to new behaviors. But one, uh, you mentioned that Boise is changing, that things are changing fast. And we talk about in, in our work and in our publications that change that is imposed upon you can often be an opportunity for you to make changes in your daily life. So as the community around you changes, um, it's a, it offers a new context. So people who are moving new to the area, if they haven't been there for very long, there's time to offer them resources so that they can build more sustainable habits rather than fall into the sort of unsustainable habits that they might otherwise, if not given the sorts of resources that encourage and make easier some of the sustainable behaviors. And for the people who've been there for a while, change is a disruptor. It disrupts your habits already. So uh, that is kind of an opportunity to rebuild. Of course, you know, having your habits disrupted can be really irritating. And yes. so, <laughs> so, um, you know, you have to, if you're trying to build a campaign to, to get people to change, it has to be appealing mm -hmm. and it has to have a social, um, aspect to it where people feel like they belong, you know, that they're not an outsider or they're not embarrassed or, you know, some of these other things that come with trying something new. And, and they also have to feel like People, people have to feel like they have the choice to engage in whatever the behavior is. So it, it never works to impose um, a new behavior on people. But instead, what works much better is to offer people the help and the resources that they would need to easily transition to a new kind of behavior. So for example, uh, riding public transportation or, or riding bike instead of, or carpooling instead of driving individually in a car. For most people, if you told them they had to start doing that next week, the response would be extremely negative. But if instead you offer them opportunities to try it out and you make it easy for them and pleasant for them to give it a try and test it out and decide if it's something that they want to do. Many, though by no means all, will actually find that, hey, this is something that I enjoy and that actually gives me more time to spend doing things that I want to be doing rather than sitting in my car. I was just going to bring up um, sort of a, sh um, a short list of things that are related to motivation to do things. We tend to have a deep need for belonging, a deep need for autonomy, and a deep need for uh, feeling competent. And so what Christy was just talking about was this belief that you have some control over your life and so not being imposed upon. Um, we already talked about um, socially having... Um, Think, uh, having change be related to belonging to 
a movement, you know, that can help too. A but social group or a community too. Right. And then competence is really important. Um, you're asking somebody to do something new. They might not want to try if they feel like they're going to fail. This is especially true of, of people who are uh, um, really sort of uh, high, uh, oh, sorry. Um, high achievers, high achievers. people who have established themselves in life. They don't want to look silly in front of other people after establishing their status. So, so finding opportunities for people to practice is really important. Yeah, you got to make it low stakes so you can give it a try. Mm -hmm. And by the way, this is what Elise was just talking about, the competence, autonomy, and relatedness. It's part of our favorite theory <laughs> called the theory of self-determination or self-determination theory. And it's been around since the um, late 90s, early 2000s. And it does it. its essential message is that for people to feel motivated to take an action or engage in, in some behavior, they need to not have their autonomy threatened or their sense of relatedness or belonging threatened or to have their competence threatened. Right. This is um, really amazing, actually. What you're synthesizing, essentially, our entire 2017 lineup of Building the Greener Idaho right here in, in this psychological overview. We had author Colin Bevan on the show early in the year, and he talked about um, his book called How to Be Happy. And those are, he talks about self-determination theory and these three points specifically, um, you know, as barriers to change and, and as things to consider if you're trying to impose change or create change in your own life, um, let alone in other people's lives. So, you know, we also, we have a, a refugee community we've welcomed into this, uh, and this area. We've got um, just an awful lot of influx of people from out of state moving to the area because it's a nice climate and a nice place to live and, and they're finding Boise enjoyable. And we're all, we're all sort of like chickens in a coop when you toss a few new ones in, you know, there's, there's some ruffling and some fluffling going on and, and we're figuring it out. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yes. Yeah, yeah. What psychologists try to study is sort of universal principles that can be applied to just about any situation. Yeah. Yes, yeah, I think these are pretty universal. And I think with that, we're going to take a quick break um, for our station ID. Uh, you're listening to Building a Greener Idaho. Uh, my guests today are Elise Amel and um, Christy Manning. They're both professors um, out of the St. Paul, Minneapolis area, and their work focuses on the psychology of sustainability. We're looking, we're talking specifically about change and, and how human beings accept change and, and how that relates to um, our attitudes and our behaviors around environmental protection. Uh, we'll be right back. Welcome back to Building the Greener Idaho. I'm your co-host, Chris Wilson. I guess I've been talking about the psychology of sustainability and uh, specifically change, why changing individual behavior is hard, um, what are the barriers, and, and what can we do about it um, if our goal is to um, move our community in a, in a more sustainable direction. Um, Elise and Christy, your, your conversation has been great, so thank you very much. Um, I'd like to kind of move us forward into what are these enabling factors that we can, as a community, can do to help people move along the spectrum of sustainability? Uh, well, something that um, you hear people say often is, well, you know, I, I can't do that because the, you know, the government or the system or, you know, there's no infrastructure um, that supports what I want to do. And so um, I think it's really important that we address that infrastructure because um, 
most people are familiar with Skinner's work where humans tend to respond to the um, feedback that their situation provides. And so if their situation is punishing them for certain behaviors, they're not going to repeat those behaviors. But if the situation rewards people for behaviors, that's something they're going to continue. So if a pedestrian or a biker feels unsafe on the road, they're just going to avoid those behaviors. Um, so we need to, to really focus on building an infrastructure that supports the behaviors that are sustainable. Um, I would add to what Elise was just saying that it's often people's first idea when they want to create change is that we need to educate others. We need to tell them what the problem is and they will then know and understand and be motivated to ride their bike instead of driving or to recycle instead of throwing everything into the trash. And it really, it's not about education or motivation or it's it's only a little bit about those things because most people are motivated and they do know what the problems are and what the solutions are but when it comes right down to it if the infrastructure isn't available and that makes it really 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 hard for me to do the more sustainable thing really 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 hard or very expensive then I am very unlikely to do it. And this is the, you have to always think about the situation that people find themselves in, not just the information or the motivation that they have inside of their brains. So augmenting the infrastructure of sustainability allows people to act upon the desire that most people have to live a sustainable life. But of course, it's really difficult because the infrastructure doesn't appear overnight and most people feel kind of helpless. It's a political quagmire to get involved in making those changes. But one of the points that we like to make is it, we as individuals, even though it might feel difficult, it is where we have the most power to create change. So in a person's uh, neighborhood, in their workplace, in their religious communities, there are always decisions being made about how things are going to be designed or the processes or policies. And, and those are the places where a single individual standing up and putting forth an idea is becomes really important. Although we know that's a scary thing to do, if you especially if you think that there are people in, in the group who might be hostile to the idea. So it's important to find peers and people you can sort of present your ideas together with so that you don't feel like you're standing up alone against the world. And in addition, a lot of recent research is showing that in fact, though people might believe that other people don't wanna talk about an issue like climate change, that there's a phenomenon, a psychological phenomenon called pluralistic ignorance going on. And that's our belief that nobody else wants to talk about it, that we're the only ones who are concerned about this issue and we're gonna be rejected or people are gonna res respond hostily if we bring it up. But in fact, this is an illusion and 
a majority of people are concerned about an issue like climate change, and I would argue other sustainability issues as well. And so bringing it up is not going to get you rejection or hostility, but probably you'll find sources of support that you didn't think were there because more people are thinking about it than you actually realize. Yeah, and um, I don't mean to pivot too quickly, but we're running a little low on time. You you sort of touched on this idea of, of people feeling a little disenfranchised if they think the government or the boss or some larger institution is, is going to trump their prerogative. Um, but, you know, you've also mentioned to me uh, this idea of that we, you know, we as we individu- individuals and our behavior is a lever to change the entire system. What would you say to our listeners, you know, briefly to sort of make them feel empowered to, to take the steps? Uh, well, I think uh, we need to be better at uh, giving people positive feedback for the things we do see them doing. Um, that's that's really important. Um, courage is really sort of an, one of the great unknowns in psychology. It's unclear what actually gets somebody to step up when um, when they're not feeling quite sure about things. But but really, um, practice makes perfect under those uh, situations. We get better at it uh, over time after we try it a few times. And and I would I would add that though your own individual um, attempts to talk with people to create change may feel like they're inadequate and just talking to your family members or your friends or your neighbors and getting one more person on board may feel like it's a really small thing to do, but it is where each of us has the most power because of our social connections to other people. We are social creatures. And so if you have a connection to somebody, they already trust you more than the person on TV or the newspaper article or whatever. If you have a personal connection, you have some credibility. And so in whatever social circles or organizations you're involved in, just by speaking up and talking to other people, you are creating change. You may not see it right away, but you're at least laying the groundwork and making it possible for other people to contemplate the kind of change that you imagine. So I would I would encourage people to not give up and to find the courage, as Elise said, uh, because though it may not pay off immediately, you really are planting a seed. Yeah. Well, I like all those thoughts. You know, I like the fact that there is a little bit of mystery left in this process. And um, and there's just this notion of courage and hope driving the driving the chariot. And um, but also, you know, that's a lesson I've had to learn throughout my career is that this incremental change is the way the change often happens. And even though it may feel like you're, you know, you're yelling into the wind, you need to look for those small wins. And I've noticed they come in the form of maybe someone parrots a word or a phrase I used and they, they weren't using that before. Or, exactly. you know, maybe someone is more willing to read an article by a certain author that they wouldn't have before. Or they're even just willing to drop a word that's somewhat sketchy, like climate mm-hmm. change. that Maybe they wouldn't have been comfortable using it before, but they're willing to try and use that term in the future. So, you know, look for those small wins and, and you'll see that you actually are creating change. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, I um, thank you guys both again for being on the show. We, we did cover a lot of ground. I think to sum it up in a nutshell, 
um, changing behavior is difficult, um, not just if you're trying to create a you know, larger social change, but even if you're trying to do it within your own life, um, there's a lot of reasons for that. Um, and a lot of it comes you know, right from the, just the way that our brains as humans work and what we want to feel fulfilled and happy in life. But um, you guys have done a great job of sort of uh, making it explicit and, and what those actual needs and barriers are. So um, Elise and Christy, thank you very much for being on the show. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Chris. You've been listening to Building a Greener Idaho. We are discussing the psychology of change. My guests were Elise Amel, the professor of psychology at the University of St. Thomas in St. Paul, and Christy Manning, professor of environmental studies at McAllister College in St. Paul. Building a Greener Idaho is on every Tuesday at 3 p.m. on Radio Boise. We'll see you next week.